Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Over the last few weeks, over the last few months, we've been going through the, the book of Acts verse by verse. And God has inspired the author, Dr. Luke, through the Holy Spirit to write these words for us. This is an historical chronicle, a historical account of the church, but it's, it's done in such a way that it is intentional. This is not just a, a haphazard, random uh, telling of the story of Christianity, but this is rather a step-by-step -step unfolding of what happened, which was the expansion of the Christian gospel and the Christian church throughout the, the known world. So as we come to the second half of chapter 11, Luke describes the beginnings of the church in Antioch. And we see something here very, very different, something totally new that we haven't seen in Acts. Some believers were preaching uh, not just to Jews, not just to half-Jews, not just to, to God-seekers like we've seen with the Ethiopian eunuch or Cornelius, but here believers are now preaching the gospel to those who were known as pagans. They had no knowledge of God, they had no knowledge of the Bible, they had no context, they had no scriptural context to, to understand. These were not Gentiles who had at first shown interest in, in Yahweh. The, these people were completely uh, pagan in their, in their living and in their philosophy, uninterested in the living God. So these believers in Antioch were doing there what we would describe today as pioneer missions. They were going to the unreached. They were going to the, the unengaged. They were introducing people to the gospel and to the God of the gospel for the very first time. So here, the second half of Acts really introduces us to another part of the book of Acts as a, as a whole. So turn with me to Acts 11. We will be reading this morning from verse 19 to verse 30. The title of my message this morning is The First Christian Church. The First Christian Church. And uh, you'll see why I named that, uh, why I titled that this morning. This wasn't the first church. We know the first church, the first New Testament church, was the church at Jerusalem. But Antioch, the church at Antioch is the title of the first Christian church. And we will see why as we go through this passage together. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. <laughs> he was a good man. Um, where are the... 
You must be men, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, these are the disciples in Antioch, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they, taught, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Well, pray with me as we ask the Lord's blessings on His word this morning. Father, we do come to you today with grateful hearts. We are thankful, Lord, for the gospel. We are thankful, Lord, that someone came to us um, some years ago or even months ago and brought the truth of your word to us. Maybe, Lord, we were unengaged. Maybe, Lord, we were unreached. Maybe we were pagan in our understanding, in our, in our natures. But yet somebody faithful shared the truth of the gospel with us. And we are thankful for that. And we pray today as we read your word, as we study your word together, that you would give us a greater appreciation and give us a greater determination to be faithful disciples who reach the lost with the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the church at Antioch, who is really a model for us. and shows us, Lord, how we are to be a church that is engaged, a church, Lord, that is effective. And may your Spirit teach us how we can be more like the church at Antioch today. We pray for your help. Spirit, please open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to the truth this morning, and help us respond to you in a way that glorifies you. We pray this for your glory and for the joy of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So several years ago, Time magazine, they printed a story that once um, raged in a small American farming town in Ohio over, over a very troubling question, a perplexing question. And the question at hand was, what is a Christian. Well, it all started when a local doctor had been, um, been very wealthy. He had died, and when his will was read, it was discovered that he had left a large sum of money to be distributed to the Christians in town. Specifically, and I quote, to persons who believe in the fundamental principles of the Christian religion and in the Bible, and who are endeavoring to propagate the same. Well, as you can imagine, when the doctor's will became public, a dispute grew over exactly who in town was a Christian, and who were worthy of the doctor's estate. And of course, lawsuits and counter-lawsuits were filed, and eventually, the court was brought in and given the responsibility of, of settling this issue. And they brought each of the ministers in town who had staked a claim, and they were called to testify before the judge to see if they were all in agreement when it came to exactly what is a Christian, what are 
Christianity's fundamental principles, what do they actually include? And there were representatives of all various denominations. There were, there were Baptists there, there were Catholics, there were Lutherans, there were Presbyterians, there were Methodists. So, as you can imagine, there was a great difference of opinion in that courtroom over exactly what it meant to be a Christian. Well, today there is still quite a variety of opinions as to what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. Many people say being a Christian has something to do with the country you were born in. Others seem to think being a Christian is determined uh, as to what political party you support or don't support. And some people even seem to refer themselves as Christians by default because they're not Buddhists or they're not, they're not Muslims or they're not Jews or they, they're not Hindus. So, of course, they, they must be Christian. Well, our text this morning tells us that it was here in Antioch where disciples were first called Christians. In fact, if you look in the Bible, the word Christian is only mentioned three times in the whole Bible. And this is the first place where the word Christian is used. So what was it about these disciples that caused them to be called Christians? What was it about this church in particular that those who belonged here to this church were known as Christians? Well, we'll see that this church impacted their community, they impacted the, their city, and this church impacted the world in a powerful way, so much so that outsiders who were observing them gave them this title attached to them, the very name of Christ, Christian. So today from our passage we will discover three identifying characteristics of an effective, God-glorifying and God-honoring church. So an effective, God-glorifying, God-honoring church, number one, my first point, needs to be Faithfully declaring the gospel. Faithfully declaring the gospel. We see this in verse 19 to verse 22. Look there. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travel as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Well, as I mentioned, this is now the second stage of the, the church's growth. And we see how this came about. It came about through the violent persecution of the church in Jerusalem, which we've looked at. Many of the believers we saw in Acts chapter 8, they fled Jerusalem because of this violent persecution. And wherever these, these Christians went, they were spreading the gospel. Wherever these Christians went, they were witnessing to Christ. They were witnessing to His goodness. And the Holy Spirit uses their testimony to win other people to Christ, as we see in, in Acts chapter 8. But as a result, now the gospel of Jesus has traveled beyond the borders of Israel. 
And now they have reached this city called Antioch. Now first let me tell you a little bit about this city of Antioch. Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city in the, the Roman Empire, uh, behind Rome itself and Alexandria. It was considered as an as a absolute mega city in ancient times. Antioch was a strong commercial trade city with easy access to the Mediterranean Sea. It was also a very diverse city with Arabs from Syria, there were Greeks there, there were Romans there, and there were Jews who had settled in this city. And Antioch was virtually a melting pot of different people groups from around the world, much like the, the UAE today. But probably what Antioch was known most for in those days was the fact that it was a, a morally corrupt city, even by ancient standards. And outside the city there was a park known as the Grove of Apollo. And it was known as a place of sexual indulgence, something like an outdoor brothel, a public brothel, where people went to the Grove of Apollo specifically to indulge in their sensual appetites. But yet it was here, in the city of Antioch, that this God-honoring, God-glorifying church was planted and established. We see in verse 19 that a group of cross-bearing disciples are sharing the gospel. At first with Jews, they were obviously a little afraid. At first they were sharing it with Jews. And then to everyone else, they were sharing the good news of the gospel. The good news of Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection. And then in verse 21, it tells us, they faithfully preached the full counsel of God. Look at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Notice there in verse 21, the converts turned to the Lord. Notice there, they did not superficially embrace Jesus as their Savior. We see here they submitted to His Lordship. They bowed down to Him as their, their Lord. They handed over the reins of their life to Him. They acknowledged Him and they acknowledged His Lordship over their lives and became His followers. They became His disciples. We see what happens in the passage. The church in Jerusalem hears about this second church. And of course, this is a largely Gentile church. And we you know some of the tensions that were there. And they send Barnabas. They send Barnabas to examine the situation and report back. Barnabas was a deacon at that time. But here we see the next point in verse 23 to verse 26. An effective, God-glorifying, God-honoring church visibly demonstrates God's grace. Visibly demonstrates God's grace. So Barnabas arrives. Okay, You can imagine the church of Jerusalem being a little skeptical. So Barnabas is really a, a scout, a, a spy, sent to determine and examine the situation. 
When he arrives, what does he see? Well, it tells us in verse 20, 23, he sees the evidence of the grace of God in the lives of these people. It says, he was glad. He was glad and he exhorts them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Notice the exhortation that he gives to them. He says, remain faithful. Remain faithful to the Lord. Pretty soon this situation here that Barnabas finds himself in becomes too big for him to handle alone. And so he begins searching for help and he, search, he searches for Saul. He sends word to Saul to come and help him. Now Saul, who by this time had been born again, he was now saved and he later became known as Paul. So he finds Saul and he brings him to Antioch. And we read in verse 26, For a whole year they met, or they assembled with the church, and they taught a great many people. So Barnabas and Saul spend a year with this church, discipling them further in their commitment to cleave to the Lord. They were making disciples, how? By faithfully teaching them to observe the Word of God, just as Jesus had told them in Matthew 28. They were teaching them to keep their eyes upon the Apostles' doctrine, which Jesus had given to the Apostles. They were teaching them to guard the precious Word of God in their hearts, and as a result, we see what happens, a Christ-like conduct. Now the question I want to ask at this point is, how can we be a church that visibly demonstrates the grace of God? How can we continue to become a church that people look at and say, well, the hand of the Lord is upon them? Well, I think there are two things that I briefly want to look at, two commitments that we must make, like this church, that will foster an environment where the grace of God is visible through us. And the first thing I want us to look at is that we need to commit to learn the truth of Jesus, learn the truth that we see in the Bible. Notice there, for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. What did Barnabas and Saul do for a whole year? They taught the believers there. Why? Why teach them? Hadn't they already come to Christ? Hadn't they already been worshipping with, with other believers? Hadn't they already begun to apply Christ's principles to their everyday lives? What else was there for them to know? Maybe you're asking. Well, I heard a pastor share once that an older person in his congregation once said to him, now, I've been in church my whole life. Do you think that there's anything else that you can teach me? What a, a little bit of an arrogant and conceited statement, isn't it? None of us have arrived. We need to remember that. None, no matter how long we've been in church, Christians are lifelong learners. We are followers of 
of Christ. We are first disciples of Christ. We are at the foot of the cross, learning from our Master. We are lifelong disciples. And these Christians in Antioch were already reaching their community for Christ, and they were already experiencing great numerical success. And the text says that Barnabas and Saul, they, they taught a great many people. We can imagine that their, their small groups, they were, they were bursting at the seams. Maybe they had small home groups as well. And they were creating and, and forming new home groups every single week. And people were coming to the worship services ready and eager to learn the, the truth of Christ. In the New Life Church, if we're going to be an effective, God-glorifying, God-honoring church that visibly demonstrates the grace of God, we have to be a disciple-making church first. Church is not about just coming to a building once a week. We must be a learning church. We must be a, a biblically taught church. And I know it's been difficult with this COVID to connect with our home groups, but now that the, 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 the restrictions are loosening, we need to be intentional about that. And in the new year, we are planning again to start our Friday schools. So we're going to have a class before church. Imagine that! Two sessions of church. Whoa, that's too much for me, Pastor. Maybe you are saying that. Or maybe you're saying, wow, that's wonderful. I really want to learn God's Word. Well, I hope the latter is the case here. You know, we need to be people who are desiring to learn the Scriptures. We need to be people who are desiring to learn the truth of Christ in their hearts. If we want to be a church that is an effective, God-glorifying, honoring church, that is sending out missionaries, that is supporting missionaries around the world, we need to get it right here first, isn't it? We need to make sure that we are on the same page as the apostles were, right? We need to make sure that we are cleaving to the apostles' doctrine. We won't be a missional church if we're not first a disciple-making church. We can't say people have been genuinely discipled if they never commit to being even members of our church. We must commit to learn the truth of Christ, first and foremost. But secondly, we also need to commit to live the nature of Christ. Look at the end of verse 26. It says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Up until this point, the followers of Jesus were referred to as disciples. Well, they referred to themselves as brothers or, or sisters or believers or even saints by those who were true believers. But here in Antioch, they are called Christians for the very first time. It is now that we find this word in our Bible. I want us to consider this use of the word Christian here in Acts 26 and ask ourselves a few questions as we do so. Number one, why? Why were the disciples called Christians here in Antioch first? And then number two, what was it that led people to call them Christians? 
And then number three, how did these disciples become Christians? Just those three questions to consider. Well, we see already that these believers have turned to the Lord. We see already that they are, that they are cleaving to the Lord. And they are becoming more and more like the Lord. They are becoming more like Christ. And as they grow more in their Christ likeness, the disciples are called Christians first in Antioch. Once again, it's important to notice that they did not call themselves Christians. They didn't give themselves this title. I think you remember, some of you, um, a while back we were trying to figure out a name for our church, isn't it? For a long time we were called ECC Off-Island. And um, there was a voting process that took place. What are we going to call ourselves? I think at one point there was a suggestion that we call us, because we were meeting in the zoo, that we were going to call ourselves the Camel Church, or the Zoo Church, wasn't it? Eh? Um, there were all these different suggestions, and then New Life Church was eventually chosen. But that's a name we gave to ourselves. These believers never gave the name Christian to themselves. The name was given to them by the world around them, the watching world around them. Those who had been born again were living differently, visibly differently. And the world noticed. The world around him noticed their Christ-like behavior. And they said, you know what, you are behaving just like that Jesus of Nazareth. You are, you are truly followers of Christ. You are just like him. And the, the title they gave him, the, the word Christian, is, is a mocking term. You are behaving just like Christ, little Christ. You guys are acting like that Jesus from Nazareth. What a, what a name to be given, eh? I mean, I've been called a number of names in my, um, in my years. I remember at primary school being called all types of weird and horrible names. But imagine being called Christian. Somebody's trying to mock you and calling you Christian. Matthew chapter 16 teaches us that everyone who is born again will be like Christ. Everyone who is born again will behave like Christ. They will take up their cross and they will follow Christ. We talked about the root. And the root is Christ. And this root will always produce fruit, isn't it? I mean, you don't go to a... Um, a banana tree and expect apples from it, do you? You don't go to a mango tree and expect grapes from it, do you? I mean, the root determines the fruit, isn't it? And that's what it's like here that Matthew talks about. If you don't have the fruit, it's because you don't have the root. You may have even called yourself a disciple, but maybe you need to be born again. We have seen briefly the record of the first Christians and the first church called Christian. But the question we need to answer is how did these disciples become Christian? What produced the first Christ-like character in their lives that led them to being labeled as Christians? Well, firstly, they were taught to remain true to Christ. Verse 23, Barnabas and Saul exhorted them all to remain true. Faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. 
And the word remain is translated in the KJV as, as cleave, as cleave, which means really to glue or to, to adhere to. Some of you who do woodwork, you have this adhesive, which you, you put on wood to stick the glue together. And that adhesive means cleave. That's where we get our word from. And a similar word is used in Matthew 15, where it's translated as continue, where the Lord is speaking to the, the crowd that they would continue to remain with the Lord for, for three days. And the same word is used to remind Timothy of his charge to abide in Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And basically, the term means to remain true, remain true. And these believers were taught to remain true to Christ, to continue with Christ, to abide in Christ, to remain true to Him no matter what, no matter how difficult the situation they find themselves in. And please remember, these people weren't in a comfortable position. They were forced to leave their country. They were forced to leave their friends. They were forced to leave their own families. And they were living in an, in an expat population. In a very worldly society. And they were coming out of those worldly habits. And they were abiding in Christ. They were coming to faith in Christ. And they were remaining fast. And Barnabas observed this. And he encouraged them. These believers were taught to continue to observe his commandments if they wanted to remain faithful. Look at the great commission that the Lord gave to the apostles in Matthew 28, which we always refer to. I hope you're familiar with this. Remember the Lord gave this commission to His apostles before He ascended to be with the Father in Matthew 28. It says, verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what it means to make disciples. Teach other disciples to observe all that God has commanded us. All that the apostles have taught us. Teach others. And this is what is happening. The disciples are obeying the scriptures. The disciples obey the commandments of Christ. And they took the word and shared it with others. These disciples were also taught to do that which was unnatural. They were taught to be selfless. They were taught to be selfless. Look at Philippians chapter 2. This again taking on the character of Christ. Philippians 2 verse 6 and 8. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form, he, talking about Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remember, they were taking on the characteristic of Christ as they were learning more about his character 
They wanted to become more like him. We see here Jesus did not think about himself when he came to the earth. Throughout his ministry, whether he was healing, or whether he was teaching, or even here when he was dying, he wasn't thinking about himself. These disciples take on the characteristic of Jesus, they stop thinking about themselves. They take on the character of Christ. They take up their cross and they continue to grow in Christ-likeness. Christ came to earth for one reason only. To take up His cross. As His disciples follow His example, taking up their crosses, choosing conformity to Christ over comfort, what happens? They grow in Christ-likeness. They grow to be more like Jesus. And they cleave to Christ. They obey His commandments. At the end of the day, these disciples had a choice, isn't it? Like all disciples do. And they chose to cleave to Christ rather than enjoy the worldly comforts that Antioch had to offer them. A big mega city, as you can imagine, in the city that we live in, they had all the comforts that the world had to provide. But instead of taking it easy and enjoying their lives in a worldly, sensual manner, they chose to live selfless, God-honoring, God-glorifying lives. Because they clave steadfastly to the Lord. And as a result, they were branded Christians. They were branded Christians. I heard a story of a pastor who was conducting a men's breakfast. And after the breakfast, the pastor was standing by the door greeting the men. And one of his church members came up to him with a friend. He said, Pastor, I want to introduce you to my friend. He, he works with me. He says, we've been working in the same company for 15 years. And I invited him to come to the breakfast and he came. But we've been in the same company for 15 years and he didn't know I was a Christian and I didn't know he was a Christian. The pastor looked at him and said, Brother, maybe you need to be born again. How does somebody working with you for 15 years doesn't know that you're a Christian? We laugh at that, but I wonder... Do people at your work know that you're a Christian? Do people at your company know that you love Jesus? Do you live differently? Do you act differently? Do they see you cleaving to Christ in difficult situations? How does one become a Christian? Well, not by coming to church. We spoke about that last week and the week before. By being born again. Make sure that your root is in Christ. You can't pretend to have fruit if you don't have the root. And you may be moral for a while, but fruit that is not in the root will never last. It will never be effective for the glory of God. A third and last point this morning. An effective God-glorifying, God-honoring church sacrificially determines to be generous. 
We see that in verse 27. Look at verse 27 there. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. Verse 29, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers and sisters living in Judea, the church in Jerusalem. And they did this, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Well, in these verses, we see here the character of Christ in action. We see that these Christians are, are proving their Christ-likeness by sending a much-needed love offering to their fellow brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who were experiencing a famine. Though there was a certain amount of cultural tension between this, this Jewish church and this Gentile church, we see when a need arose, the Antioch Christians responded in a way that honored God. The Antioch Christians sent this much-needed provision to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And here again, we see the fruit. We see the fruit from these born-again disciples. It is now proving the root, which is Christ. And the Christians in Antioch are determined to sacrificially give. And they're determined to be generous with their resources. Look at verse 29. We see from this verse some, some practical points about how the Antioch church participated in this love offering. It says there, the disciples determined. The disciples determined. This was premeditated. It was deliberate. It was intentional. And then it says everyone. They determined everyone. This was full participation. It wasn't just the, the core or, the, or, or, or the, the faithful few. This was everyone. Full involvement. And then it says according to his ability. According to his ability. This was proportional. This was relative to what they could afford. They weren't forced or manipulated or made to feel guilty. They gave according to their abilities. Now notice, not everyone had equal gifts. I'm sure not everyone had an equal bank account. But there was an equal sacrifice. There was an equal sacrifice here. In these disciples in Antioch, these Christians in Antioch. And what could move a people? You know, a people brought up in, in, a, in a pagan, ritualistic lifestyle of self-indulgence. And remember, this wasn't just a Jewish church anymore. These were people from all over Antioch. People who were probably born in Antioch. People coming out of this, this wicked lifestyle. Now, what could move them, these people, to be so gracious and to be so generous and, and sacrificial, taking their own financial resources to assist people that they've never even met? Well, the only explanation for them being givers of such a sacrificial gift of grace is that they had first been recipients themselves of an even of an even greater sacrificial gift of grace. They had been born again. They had experienced God's amazing grace. People who haven't experienced this are not going to be sacrificial 
They're not going to be givers of themselves. But these believers understood their need for Christ. Their need for a Savior. They understood their lostness. And they grasped the, the grace of God expressed to them through Jesus' great work on the cross of Calvary. And they've been shown great grace. And now they're determined to show great grace to others. Let me finish with this illustration. I read a story that happened on a mission field in China many years ago. And there was a Chinese farmer who had severe cataracts in his eyes that, that prevented him from, from seeing properly. And he had the great blessing of having these cataracts removed from his eyes at a Christian mission clinic. And a few days later, the missionary doctor who did the procedure, he looked out of his window and he noticed this particular farmer holding the, the end of a long rope. And behind him were blind Chinese people in a single file holding the same rope and following him towards this clinic. This farmer who had found his sight, he rounded up all of his friends, he rounded up all the people he knew who struggled with the same problem and led them for miles and miles to the doctor who had worked this miracle on his eyes. He wanted others to experience the same eye-opening work that, that he himself had experienced. And that's how it should be with disciples of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's how we who have received God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ should respond, should be. And we are so blessed to have our spiritual eyes opened that we want everyone else around us to have the same experience and to receive the same blessing. In New Life Church, I sincerely hope that we want to be an effective, God-glorifying, God-honoring church. And please pray with me that we will faithfully declare the gospel, that we will visibly demonstrate God's grace, and that we will sacrificially determine to be generous. Father, thank you for the church at Antioch. Thank you, Lord, for their amazing example that they have left for us, the model that they have left for us to imitate. Father, where we are lacking, where we fall short as a church, please help us, Lord, to reform, to change. We pray, Father, that you would expose these areas individually to us where we, Lord, are not being faithful or not being obedient or not being willing even to learn. Forgive us, Lord, for even becoming lazy during this COVID period. Forgive us for making excuses. For not wanting to gather together. For not wanting to learn together. For not wanting to encourage others. For not wanting to disciple others. Forgive us, Lord, for, for being tempted by the devil to isolate ourselves. But now, Lord, as things are changing, please, Father, Give us this determination to be an effective, God-honoring church that is faithful in making disciples, where people around us will point at us and say, this is a Christian, this is a church that is different, this is a church 
that heralds the name of Christ high. Father, if there are people amongst us who need to be saved, please Lord, do their work amongst us now so that their root would be in you. May our root be in you, Lord, and may the fruit be evident for everybody to see how glorious you are and how grateful we are for you saving us from our sins. I pray this prayer in the name of our Savior for his glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.